Thanks for listening to Westminster Insider. We'll get started right after this. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Back in January, Rishi Sunak set out his five priorities for the year, the things by which we should judge the success or failure of his government. The first four were things you'd expect, the economy and the NHS. The fifth one was a call to action. Stop the boats. Stop the boats. We will stop the boats. I said I would stop the boats and I meant it. And on Monday, standing near the White Cliffs of Dover in a tight pair of trousers and a pair of gigantic boots, the Prime Minister gave us his six-month progress report. My message is this. Our plan is starting to work. Ask those close to Rishi Sunak what's preoccupying them day-to-day in number 10, and it's this. The PM is personally driving the efforts to get the number of small boat crossings down. He's in the weeds of it, holding bi-weekly meetings with the Home Secretary and personally pushing it forward. Why? For this episode, I've gone behind the rhetoric to understand this issue as a policy problem and a political one. I've heard from a pollster. You can see it shooting up another sort of 20%, so that's when 7 in 10 people were saying it was one of their biggest concerns. And a frustrated Tory MP. It's the only meeting where I've come close to feeling like the guy who was standing up in my face might, might be about to assault me. And I've spoken to a young asylum seeker who's made that dangerous journey across the channel himself. I'm just looking for peace and safety. From Politico, I'm Alva Ray, and this week on Westminster Insider, I'm looking into how and why small boat crossings have shot to the top of the Prime Minister's to-do list. And I'm taking his aim on its own terms and asking, can Rishi Sunak actually stop the boats? I'm Ali, an Iranian asylum seeker. It's late in the evening and I'm at home when my phone buzzes. I've been trying to speak to Ali for days when I finally get his WhatsApp. Hi Alva, I'm ready now. I log into Zoom and there is Ali, a smiling young man in a black t-shirt. Over a shaky internet connection, he speaks to me from his hotel in a UK city where he has been waiting for years for his asylum claim to be processed. I'm not giving too many details about his situation because he's still in the asylum system. What was happening back at home before you decided to leave? I was, um, I used, um, 
Ali is a member of a persecuted religious minority. Back in Iran several years ago, he had hidden books relating to his faith in his desk at work. One day, someone found them and passed them on to the police. In a panic, he called his uncle. He told me uh, that uh, you're in big trouble because you were promoting the forbidden religion in an Islamic place. So it made me to leave my country and uh, start a dangerous journey to save my life. Ali found someone who helped him escape from Iran with a fake passport. And why did you choose the UK? I didn't choose the UK. He says he didn't choose the UK. I was looking just for a safe place. He was just looking for a safe place. Ali made an asylum claim in an EU country with a low acceptance rate of Iranians. They rejected his claim and he was scared he'd be sent back to Iran. Under an EU law called the Dublin Regulation, you can only make a claim in one member state. So he felt like he was out of options. But of course, there's one European country that has opted not to be part of the Dublin Regulation anymore. Ironically, because of Brexit, I thought to myself to apply for asylum here in the UK. At Calais, he gave a smuggler 2,500 euro to help him cross the channel. It is small dinghy while big ferries are moving around the channel. So there he was, in a tiny dinghy on the choppy waters of the English Channel. He says big ferries were moving around and he was scared. But that was a small hope to find myself in a better, safe life. Looking back, he saw danger. Looking forward, he saw hope. When they got into English waters, the Coast Guard came to save them from joining. A big boat came to us and took all of us uh, to the seashore to Kent and uh, that was the start of my new life. As the asylum seeker, you don't have right to work. Ali is an engineer, but while he waits for his asylum claim to be processed, he's frustrated that he can't work or lead a normal life here. Pay tax to the government and be a useful part of the society. They keep asking us to stay in your accommodation until we will give you an answer. And so you've been waiting five years for that answer? Yeah, more. How do you feel seeing the way stopping the boats is described in the news here? I agree with the government that's a dangerous thing. So Ali agrees that small boat crossings are dangerous but he had no safe and legal alternative to get out of Iran. He's also frustrated by the idea that people see him and other asylum seekers as economic migrants. He says he wouldn't have left everything behind and risked his life just for the sake of a job. If I have safety, my country is the best place in the world for me because I have my family, I have my friends, I had my job, I had my own car, I had everything. There are roughly 32.5 million people around the world who've been forced to leave their country, fleeing war, human rights abuses, famine, natural disasters. 69% of those refugees are hosted in a neighbouring country. 
But a small fraction go further afield, and a small fraction of those people make it to the UK. And that's led to a lot of anger among the people on the front line of this influx on the Kent coast. But before we get into the question of whether Rishi Sunak can stop these crossings, we need to spend a bit of time understanding the issue. So, to set out the facts, I spoke to Colin Yeo, a barrister, blogger and author of Welcome to Britain, Fixing Our Broken Immigration System. Small boat crossings to the United Kingdom only really started in 2018. There'd been a handful of people who tried it and and some of whom had drowned previously. And then a small number began to use small boats in 2018. And it took off quite quickly after that and has, has just grown hugely. And to start with, it was people changing route. So instead of coming in lorries, which they'd done previously and which was becoming harder and harder, they found basically that getting into a small boat, you could get to the UK that way instead. So explain to me how these crossings started to increase. What's been driving that? The overall numbers were quite small to begin with. So it's late 2018 that you get really just a few hundred people coming. 2019, it starts to be low thousands and it has been increasing significantly since then. And it's partly because people found that it was an easier way to get to the UK, but it's also partly, we think, because essentially smugglers are are marketing it and it's it's actually attracting more people now, as well as there being more people globally who, who are seeking asylum. It's a combination of all those different things. The sort of people who are actually entering by small boats, I say, for example, there's been a significant increase in Afghans arriving by small boat recently. The nationalities that are doing so, a lot of them will ultimately get refugee status under the existing system. They are are people who we would consider to be genuine refugees because they meet the definition of refugee in the Refugee Convention. And they've got a really high success rate, you know, like 98% of Afghans, 98% of, of, of Eritreans, 98% of, of Syrians and so on. They get asylum ultimately. One of the most politically divisive aspects of this topic is where people are coming from and whether they are genuine refugees or so-called economic migrants. Since small boat crossings began in 2018, 70% of the people crossing the channel have been from five countries. Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria and Albania. Almost all of those Albanian arrivals were last summer and highly controversial. We should follow the route of other European countries and ensure that they are returned immediately to Albania. They were by far the biggest group crossing the channel in the summer months last year. But that fell again a few months later, for reasons we'll get into in part two. Can you put the numbers crossing in small boats in the context of asylum seeking in the UK more generally and then immigration to the UK more generally? According to the latest figures, only about half of people who come to claim asylum come by small boat. The last figures I saw was around 90,000 people claimed asylum over the course of the last year, and about 45,000 of them arrived in small boats. And the other 45,000 asylum seekers, how do they come to the UK? Mainly by lorry, and a small number will come by flight. It's very, very difficult to come to the UK on a flight to claim asylum, though, because you have to get a visa to do so, and it's hard to get those visas, basically. You kind of have to lie. You have to say that you're a visitor, you've got an intention to return, when actually your plan is to claim asylum. But that is fascinating, that actually half of asylum seekers come to the UK by lorry, but 
it's boats that are the totemic issue. Yeah, there's something very sort of visual. It seems to kind of really attract something quite deep-rooted, that kind of arrival by boats, the kind of rhetoric we've seen of invasion and so on. That really does seem to um, grab a lot of attention, yeah. The British people deserve to know which party is serious about stopping the invasion on our southern coast. Asylum seeking as a proportion of immigration to the UK in general, how big a proportion is that? It's pretty tiny, basically. The figures that we've got most recently were that overall immigration to the UK by all means was about 1 million. Net migration was about 500,000 because net migration is immigration minus emigration, basically. And we're talking about 90,000 people over the course of a year um, claiming asylum who arrived by irregular means. And that's that's dwarfed actually by other refugee type routes. So for people from Hong Kong, for people from Ukraine, and then it's again dwarfed by skilled migration, by student numbers as well. So it, it's actually quite a small proportion of the overall figures for immigration to the UK. They might be a small proportion of overall migration to the UK, but small boat crossings had quadrupled over two years when Rishi Sunak became Prime Minister. And this issue is totemic because it's so visible. So let me show you the YouGov tracker. This is Scarlett Maguire. Regular listeners will remember that the last time she was on the podcast, she was the producer of The Andrew Neil Show. But since then, she's made a big job move. She's now a pollster for JL Partners, a research firm led by Theresa May's former pollster, James Johnson. In the bustling atrium of Millbank, she showed me on her laptop how voter attitudes towards immigration have moved in recent years. So what we're looking at now is the most important issues facing the country. You can see the spikes in concern about immigration tally up almost exactly with particularly strong images in the news. So we've got it here in September 2015. This is when those awful images of Alan Kurdi were splashed all over the front pages. You'll remember those images of Alan Kurdi, a two-year-old Syrian boy washed up on a beach dead after drowning in the Mediterranean Sea. One last pose, clutching hands with a father who held him until the very end but could not save him. The image reverberated around the world and here in the UK, concern about immigration shot up. That also happens in the summer months when newsrooms are struggling to find news, boat crossings tend to be at their highest and coverage of small boats spikes. And back in November, Manston, a detention centre for small boat arrivals on the Kent coast, hit the headlines. It's designed for a maximum of 1,600 people, and they're only meant to spend a day or two here. But many have been here weeks, and at least eight have reportedly caught diphtheria, a highly contagious virus. As it was hastily emptied, asylum seekers were sent to hotels around the country. And again, concern about immigration shot up. You can see it going up, putting up another sort of 20%. So that's when seven in ten people were saying it was one of their biggest concerns. It literally jumped it in literally a week. It literally jumped. Like yeah. 20 percentage points. Yeah, it's it's mad. It's, and then yeah. this is what um, I was sort of saying here about Manston. So not as dramatic as in 2015 where we saw 20%, but a 10% increase. And you can see it's almost a straight line. Yeah. So it's just like, a, in general, quite a straight wavy line. Mm. 
and then there are just these peaks every time there's an image of a small boat crossing yeah exactly news. or not every time but yeah. sometimes those images are particularly resonant or maybe they'll yeah. be accompanied by a statistic like you then you also saw in November lots of images of small boats making the crossing but also the news that we'd have a record number of crossings that year uh, and then you saw an increase so I think that's why small boats are so in the mind of politicians is because they are such a visceral representation of how people perceive the immigration system is or isn't working. Since 2018, the government has been clear that it would crack down on small boat crossings. Everyone who enters the UK illegally will be considered for resettlement to Rwanda. This is the man appointed by the Home Secretary to try to make the route unviable. Dan Omani served in Iraq and Kosovo and will now be the clandestine channel threat commander. So this is this so-called pushback policy where the Royal Navy would potentially push back those migrant boats to, towards France. Our cooperation and collaboration with the French is absolutely integral to ensuring that there is a, a robust barrier. But despite the bold announcements by his predecessors, by the time Rishi Sunak announced his Stop the Boats priority in January, the problem had only been getting worse. The numbers of people crossing the channel had been rising and the backlog of asylum cases had ballooned. But, and this is an important point, that backlog wasn't just caused by the influx of new arrivals, but because of a huge, mysterious slowdown in Home Office decision-making. The backlog now stands at about 160,000 cases, I think. Here's Colin Yeo again. There basically was no backlog if you go back four or five years. So it, it's a very recent problem. And it's not really because of a major increase in numbers. It, it's really because of a, a huge slowdown in decision-making at the Home Office. And you, you can see that in the statistics they release on the number of decisions made per caseworker and the number of caseworkers and so on. So it looks like really a management issue at the Home Office and a question of competence rather than sort of being genuinely overwhelmed by numbers. And because the backlog was allowed to grow, suddenly the Home Office had run out of accommodation. They had to start using hotels instead. So while small boat crossings have made for striking, unsettling images in the media, it's the use of hotels to house the growing backlog that means the issue is being brought home like never before. We had a very distinct moment when the number of hotels used went over a very small number of weeks from two to five in Skegness. Matt Warman is a Conservative MP far from the Kent coast for the seaside town of Skegness and the town of Boston, which you might remember had the highest leave vote in the UK. For his constituents, stopping the boats is the number one issue. This is an issue that has cut through almost like no other. Obviously, people get in touch with me about the cost of living, about the economic stuff. But if there is a single big picture policy issue, this is definitely the number one topic. Skegness is one of the places where migrants were relocated in November 2022, when the government was trying to empty Manston, its small boat super prison far away in rural Kent. We had this very short period where things changed very quickly and also where the hotels that were used, they are the seafront hotels that people uh, particularly think of as these are the sorts of things where they want them to be the, the gems of a place like Skegness. This is 
a government policy, not not intentional. It's it's so El Raven and Rishi Sunak's intention is the opposite, but it is temporarily changing the nature of those hotels, and and these are to some extent sort of chickens coming home to roost uh, in, in policy terms. But it's also in the same way that. I genuinely think for lots of my voters, Brexit was absolutely about sovereignty. This is absolutely about fairness for people. It's about seeing that people who have broken the law to come and arrive uh, in the way that they have are yet getting accommodated in hotels. They're getting access to GPs. Despite considerable security concerns, MAP took the decision to hold a public meeting about the sudden increase in hotel use for asylum seekers. 400 people turned up, compared with the 200 asylum seekers in the hotels themselves. It was a very angry meeting. It's the only meeting where I've come close to feeling like the guy who was standing up in my face might be about to assault me kind of thing that's the level of anger and and I should say that the police were very good about making sure that it did proceed safely but I think what people were talking about was seeing hotels with all the resources that go with that with people in a cost of living crisis having their heating bills paid all of that sort of uh, thing putting pressure on local doctors local dentists and saying, hang, hang on, this can't be the right use of government resources. It, it is, as I say, uh, in, in so many people's minds, profoundly about fairness. And some of it is simply about we shouldn't be in a situation where people are spending so long waiting for the Home Office to process their applications. And I think it's, it's fair to say that the Home Office has made some progress speeding up those applications recently. As far as Matt Warman is concerned, this absolutely should be Rishi Sunak's priority if the Conservatives are to have any hope of winning the next election. A lot of people are saying to me, I've voted Conservative all my life, or, I've, or I certainly voted Conservative last time round. If you don't get a grip on this issue, I'm going to think very seriously about who I vote for next time round. And they're not saying that as, as a sort of one-dimensional threat. They're saying it because it really matters to them. So I think it is very much an issue that is going to make a huge impact in seats like mine come the next election. Immigration is a top issue for between one in three and one in five voters in the UK, which mightn't sound like a lot, but it's who and where these voters are that makes a difference. Here's the pollster, Scarlett Maguire, again. They are very unevenly distributed, but also, I think, in terms of what Number 10 specifically are thinking, and and the Labour Party as well, they've got an eye on that red wall that was so crucial to their coalition in 2019, and voters there, especially people who voted Conservative there in 2019, care much more than the population at large about this issue. Stop the boats. That's the aim. But how will Rishi Sunak do it? And will it work? Stay with us. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Rishi Sunak is hoping to have stopped the boats by the end of the year and definitely by the next election. And according to his speech... He's well on the way. In the five months since I launched the plan, crossings are now down 20% compared to last year. But how is he actually going to do it? Well, very helpfully for us, he also summarised this in his speech on Monday. So, buckle up, because here are the six ways he's trying to stop the votes. First, I promise to work closely with our international partners. That means bilateral deals with Albania, France and the European Border Agency. Now, second, I promise to improve enforcement. He's doubling funding to the National Crime Agency and arresting more illegal workers. Third, I promise to stop people spuriously using modern slavery claims to frustrate their removal. That's more checks on people claiming to have been trafficked. Fourth, I promise to clear through the backlog of people waiting for initial decision. He's recruited more caseworkers and streamlined the decision process, but the backlog remains huge. Fifth, I promised we would get illegal migrants out of hotels and into alternative sites. He's opening military facilities to house 3,000 asylum seekers by the autumn, and he's telling them to share hotel rooms. And then there's the most headline-grabbing, controversial part. We've introduced unprecedented legislation to make clear that if you come here illegally, you will be detained and removed in weeks, either to your own country or to a safe third country like Rwanda. He's referring to the Illegal Migration Bill. It says that if you arrive in the UK irregularly, so via a small boat or by lorry, your asylum claim will never be considered. Instead, you'll be returned to your home country or to a safe third country. As it currently stands, that means Rwanda. The bill hasn't been approved by the Lords yet, and legal challenges to the Rwanda plan mean no flights have taken any asylum seekers there yet. But it's Suella Braverman's dream to see it happen. I would love to be having a front page of the Telegraph with a a plane taking off to Rwanda. That's my dream. That's my dream. When will that happen? But which of these policies, if any, will actually be effective? I interviewed Colin Yeo, the immigration barrister we heard from earlier, and Tony Smith, a former head of the UK Border Force. Both have a lot of expertise in this area, but their political instincts are pretty different. You could say Colin is more Guardian, Tony is more Telegraph. But what's interesting to listen out for is not just where they disagree, but actually where they agree. This is Colin Yeo. I think the reality is that you can't stop the boats acting alone as the British government. And there's a possibility that acting in concert with the French or by having sort of instant returns to France, you could 
stop the boats in that way, in the sense that people would stop making that journey if they realised that you know, being returned to France immediately was actually something that happened. And we have seen that in other situations around the world. But it's not like Australia, where we're surrounded by a large ocean and you can intercept people at sea and then take them back to their departure points. That's how the Australians sort of resolve their situation. So much of the government's approach to stopping the boats comes from the Australian playbook including that very phrase. Stop the Boats was a slogan that helped former Australian Prime Minister Tony Abbott win an unlikely re-election back in 2013. What the government has done is stop the boats. Stopped the boats. Tony Abbott's election strategist was Linton Crosby. Rishi Sunak's strategist is Crosby's protégé, Isaac Levido. The thing that gets attention with Australian asylum policy is kind of prison camps on small Pacific islands like Nauru. And people sort of assume that putting a few hundred people into these prison camps dissuaded other people from coming. It, it acted as a deterrent. As I understand it, that's not really what happened. So a few hundred people were put into prison camps and they've been appallingly treated. But what actually stopped the boats in Australia seems to have been literally intercepting people at sea. Lawyers call it interdiction. And you have a a fairly extensive ocean around Australia. It's pretty isolated. You've got a lot of security. You've got a lot of patrols to detect boats before they get close to Australian land, so to speak. And you intercept the boats and then you tow them back to the countries that they set off from. So Malaysia and Indonesia. I think are the the, the key kind of migration partners, as as the Australians sometimes put it. And you have agreements with those countries that you can simply tow the boats back there. Now, we've got two problems that make that impossible in the UK context. One is that you just cannot detect small boats in a small body of water like the English Channel. They're not at sea for long enough. It it takes a matter of hours to get across the Channel. In the time that you've detected and tried to intercept them, they're already here, basically. They're already in UK waters. And they're also much smaller boats. They're not really seaworthy. They need rescuing at the point at which you detect them. You can't just sort of tow them back. People will drown if you do that. Even if we could do that we haven't got the agreement to the french and if you're the british navy you can't just invade french waters with migrants in tow you know that that's like an act of war so the real way of doing an australian style stop the boats operation would be a returns agreement with france and if it were possible on a practical and humanitarian level literally towing the boats back my name's tony smith i worked in the home office for over 40 years ended up being the Director General of the UK Border Force. Retired about nearly 10 years ago now, and now I'm um, a border management consultant. Interestingly, Tony Smith, the former head of the UK Border Force, agrees with Colin Yeo that the best way of resolving small boat crossings is a political agreement with France. My plan would always have been to have an agreement between ourselves and France. And what we're talking about is a human smuggling operation between two safe third countries, England and France, defeating our traditional border controls. That could be fixed by a political agreement between the UK and the EU. We could have joint patrols. We could have returns to France. France is safe. We could even set up some sort of criteria with the EU to say, well, there there may be people in the EU that could come here. The French have said this, this is an EU competence, not a French competence. 
So the government then has to go to Brussels to negotiate some kind of an arrangement or agreement. So, well, uh, you know, if you take back the boats that are arriving in Dover back to France again, that will stop the boats instantly, won't it? But they won't do that. And they will want to know, well, what's in it for them, really? And, uh, and that now you're into political negotiations, which are really, really difficult. And so, therefore, the government haven't really got very much of an option other than to find somewhere else to return people to. France and the UK have recently announced a new deal. Britain will fund more police to patrol the coast in France and they'll build a detention centre near Calais as a deterrent. It could be a signal of even greater cooperation to come. But in the meantime, there's no agreement of the kind that Colin Yeo and Tony Smith would say is necessary. In the absence of an agreement like that, the government has the Illegal Migration Bill and the Rwanda scheme. But our experts differ greatly on whether Rishi Sunak's plan will work. Here's Tony Smith again. I think it's unlikely that he'll be able to completely stop the boats. On the other hand, it's possible that he might be able to slow down the flow of migrants coming across the channel from France. I think that's pretty well contingent upon the Rwanda plan and whether or not the courts accept that the Rwanda plan is lawful, because that should, I think, deter some people in Calais on the idea of, well, is it worth me putting my life at risk, paying human smugglers to get across to Dover to find myself in Rwanda? Probably not, actually. There is some disagreement, isn't there, about whether deterrents actually work. You're someone who's worked for the Border Force. Is there any evidence to suggest that it should work? Well, in my experience, there is a direct link between asylum intake and asylum returns. And I worked on a number of projects uh, for various governments uh, who, who were trying to get asylum intake down, going back to the Blair government. Uh, they weren't coming in small boats then. They were actually coming in, in the backs of lorries and on ferries. But... Um, Nonetheless, there was a government drive to reduce asylum intake and um, at the same time a drive to increase failed asylum removals. But it worked. I think there's more recent evidence actually in the case of Albania, where we are now seeing far fewer Albanians on the boats than we were last year. And that's because of a concerted effort by the government to uh, open up returns to Albania. But Colin Yeo makes a distinction between returns policies like the deal the UK reached to return Albanians to their home country, which work, and deterrent policies, like sending asylum seekers to Rwanda, which, he says, don't work. So instead of being able to actually physically prevent boats from arriving, what the government has been doing is pretending, really, that if you're really horrible to people, that will stop them from coming. The problem is that there's there's just no evidence that that has ever worked anywhere around the world. And so politicians end up raising expectations, but with no real way of, of actually delivering on, on the promises that are made. The latest development is to basically deny asylum completely to people who arrive by unlawful means to, to claim asylum. Whether that actually will deter people from coming is very open to question because we don't think it's going to be very easy to remove people to Rwanda. The level of violence involved in forcing people onto flights will be huge, frankly, and there are likely to be injuries and deaths. Uh, You have to set up a really huge infrastructure of coercion and detention in order to do that. 
and you know Rwanda has to agree to take those people as well and you know their capacity is somewhat questionable because of legal challenges how likely is it that anyone will actually be brought to Rwanda Opinions differ on on whether the cases may ultimately succeed. I suspect that the courts will give the go-ahead in some way, shape or form at some point. But even if the courts did give the go-ahead, it's a really hard plan to enact. At the moment, people like Ali want to be detected the second they arrive in UK waters because the Coast Guard or Navy comes, saves their life and takes them to shore. But the Illegal Migration Bill means that anyone who arrives in the UK illegally won't have their asylum claim considered. So Colin Yeo suspects that migrants might try to reach the Kent coast without detection, or they'll go back to lorries. What we're very likely to see instead is that people will continue to come, but they'll come by clandestine means, they'll avoid detection, they'll avoid claiming asylum at all, and they'll just sort of disappear instead. And that will kind of look like success from the government's point of view because the asylum figures will go down it won't be obvious what's going on but the lessons from around the world are that you can't really stop migration flows you you can just kind of divert them temporarily or lessen them to some degree You, you can't literally stop the boats tony smith who used to be in charge of operations like this disagrees completely with Colin Yeo that forcibly removing people to Rwanda will be a humanitarian or logistical concern. He thinks there's a different problem. We already do run charter flight removals of foreign national offenders, criminals, to various parts of the world. We have got properly equipped arrest-trained officers and we also have security guards and a strategy for escorts on flights. So I don't think getting people onto flights to go to Rwanda will be a problem. The bigger problem is the volume of people coming across because it was 45,000 last year. Now, the new bill, the uh, Illegal Immigration Bill that's currently in Parliament, uh, proposes that anybody who comes across to this country um, on a small boat or in the back of a lorry um, without a passport uh, places a duty upon the Secretary of State to remove them from the territory. But logistically, there's a very big possibility that a significant number, if not detained, will simply disappear into our communities. We don't have an unlimited number of detention spaces in the immigration detention estate. There's only about two and a half thousand spaces altogether. So I think there's a real logistical challenge in, can we detain everybody? Have we got the spaces to do that? So there are certainly logistical challenges, but I don't think they're insurmountable. So, can Rishi Sunak stop the boats? No one thinks he'll stop them all. But he could, maybe, reduce the number enough to claim progress. And for those voters who count, maybe progress, a Prime Minister doing everything he can, is enough. Voter anger is very real in certain parts of the country and they'll be judging him not just by how he spins it but how it feels in their communities. And that's where the illegal migration bill could well be solving one problem and creating another. Are we really ready to start detaining everyone who arrives in the UK without prior permission? Or could that just create more Manstons, more super prisons with overcrowding, more controversy? 
Meanwhile, around the world, the refugee crisis is only set to get worse. And the UK's answer, at the moment, is to pull up the drawbridge. Unless you're from a handful of countries, like Ukraine or Hong Kong, you can't come here. The government says it will open more safe routes at some point. But for now, the global migration crisis is someone else's problem. Thanks for listening to Westminster Insider with me, Alva Ray. If you've enjoyed it, please spread the word, follow us and maybe leave us a nice review. And don't forget, you can listen to past episodes, including Jack's episode from last year on levelling up. My producer this week was Dan Hardoon of Whistledown Productions. And here at Politico, my executive producer is Christina Gonzalez and my editor is Jack Blanchard. We'll be back next week. See you then. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.